the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided our world has become? We desperately need stories of peace and healing. We find the bridge builders across the globe who are stepping into the divides of culture and bringing understanding, compassion, and reconciliation. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Sanborn and Lisa Jernigan. And hello again. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Lisa. You're listening to Counterculture. How's your day going? So far, great. It is. It is. How about you? It's great. I, I, I feel like a broken record, but I know a lot of awesome people. And I get to, what we get to do here is I get to like, Reach, send them an email or text and say, would you we be on my show? Right. And they kind of say yes. I know. <laughs> I know. And we have a reason to like. We have a reason <laughs> to do that. Yes. <laughs> Will you be our friend at the table yes, and let us that's talk right. to Yeah. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so a few weeks ago, I was at a conference in Atlanta and this this lady walks in and who's our guest, so I'm going to announce just momentarily. This lady walks in and I realized I've actually followed her on, on social media for like a year. And I felt like I knew her. Of course. And her story and all like that. But we had actually never met. So there was this sort of awkward, like I'm getting introduced to someone who I feel like I really know. Like, how do I not be creepy? <laughs> how do I, I did not want to play the creep card. <laughs> Good for you. So, Self-awareness. So, yes. So, Tori, welcome. Tori Hope Peterson, so glad you're on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Social media is such a tricky beast <laughs> because it is so awkward. Like, there are so many people. And that's, that's like, what the summit was. It was bringing all these people together mm-hmm. who, like, know each other but have yes. never met each other. I know. And you're like, how do I interact with you? Right. <laughs> and did I come off creepy? No, not at all. Oh, she's here on okay. the show today. Were you, yeah, that's true. I right? guess she, I didn't she scare came her back. off. She came back. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Okay. Phew, I didn't blow that one. <laughs> so, Tori, you're you're like this. I'm I'm super excited because in my in my like scheme, you're like a celebrity uh, who's <laughs> like a big deal. You're a national uh-huh. speaker. You're an author. You do all this cool stuff. You've got a great story. You were Mrs. Universe. Okay, something happened in July. Did something happened. I mean, look at, holy smokes. So you're kind of a big deal in my book. And we're just honored Thank to have you. you. Because we're imagining Thank that you're you sitting across the table from us. And, you know, we're BFFs sitting here talking about <laughs> this, right? right? <laughs> you guys are so sweet. Uh, I'm really not a big deal, <laughs> but I appreciate you 
having me on and thinking that I am. (laughs) Well, your story is a big deal. Your story is a big deal. And how you've lived your life is a really big deal. And, um, and we know like the answer is, is God, right? It's, I mean, it's because of God, but you've also, people have choices to make and how they live it out. And you've made amazing choices by not allowing circumstances to define who you are and a label and a stereotype but you've overcome that. So we just want to hear a little bit. I mean, John, sure. you know, yeah. I, I, I mean, just kind of walk us through a little bit of your life. Mm-hmm. I first went into the foster care system when I was three years old, and that was due to a drug bust. I, I was taken by a SWAT team and human services, and I didn't want to go into the system. I wanted to be with my mom and the foster care system did its job. I went and was reunified with my mom months later. But then as I got older, as my mom got older, her mental illness got worse. And so my sister and I had to re-enter the foster care system. This time I was an adolescent. I went in with my sister and I thought, okay, this is our opportunity, our chance at escaping the abuse and the neglect and having a normal life. And I was honestly looking forward. I was happy. I was going into the foster care system this time. But within a month of going in, my sister and I were separated from one another. And I went to move. I moved throughout 12 homes total from the time that I entered foster care until the time I emancipated when I was 18 and just felt like I didn't belong, Um, felt like there wasn't a place for me. I think being biracial, there was also some confusion there. I didn't know if I belonged in the black community or the white community, didn't belong in a home. And then I started going to church. I had a foster mom who was taking me to church every Sunday. We would do devotions at the dinner table and before we went to bed. And at this at this church, everyone, like almost everyone in leadership was involved in foster care or they had adopted at one point or another. And I just thought, you know, these people care for kids like me. And their lives made me realize that Jesus cared for kids like Mm. me and I had a track coach who came into my life at the same time and he told me Tori I think you can do some incredible things poured into me and I that year we grew our relationship became very close he became like a father figure that I was looking Mm. for and yearning for Mm. and through our relationship I became a four-time state champion in track and field oh my goodness and that's what allowed me to go to college and so yeah, I mean, it was really God, right? The story, I have the honor of telling it, but the story really is about people who God put in my life and showed up in a way that reflected Him and loved me when they could have said, yeah, that girl's hard to love. We're going we're gonna to not. Mm. Mm. It's a beautiful story of just how God brings community around you and people that say, I see this in you, like your coach and the people, right? And kind of speaks into who they see you are. Which is powerful. Yeah, I really, I feel like, you know, that, that quote, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. I feel like my community encompassed that well. They lived it out and they still do live it out. Um, really thankful. I just recently moved back to my hometown about four months ago and now I'm going to the church that I was saved in. Oh my goodness. And I get to serve alongside them. And it's truly just like such a blessing um, to watch the behind the scenes. I think that sometimes in ministry, uh, people aren't the same person that, you know, they maybe are on stage. And so it's been a real blessing to see that all these things that happen behind the scenes are the same as on stage. And these people who helped me and loved me are 
still carrying the mantle to serve the, the orphan and the widow. Wow. Wow. What what area of, of the country are you in? So I live in Defiance, Ohio. It's okay. just a small rural town with my work. So I'm now a public speaker and I travel all over to speak. And I, I just moved here four months ago. And I'm like, why did I not move towards a major airport? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I live like almost two hours from, two hours like from a major airport. Wow. Airport. wow. Like, why did I do that? But I love the community so much. Um, yeah. And it fills me up. Like, you know, I have to go out. And I, I do pour out a lot at each speaking engagement. And one of the things I always try and do, I don't know if I'll be able to do it forever, but I try to engage my audience after I speak and um, get to know them and hear mm-hmm. their stories. And I love to ask foster and adoptive parents, you know, who's in your home right now? And figuring out, you know, who's who's in their home and how they got there. And um, I, I moved back to this community because I needed someone to pour into me um, because I was pouring out so much mm-hmm. and, yeah, I'm so grateful to be back and to my my cup is just overflowing as mm. I'm here. Wow. You can totally hear the joy in your yes. voice. It's just kind of it's coming through. And how cool oh. for your community to go, "Oh my gosh, look at what God's doing." Like he's using mm-hmm. us. It's like all of you are in this together, right? Everybody has a part. And for them to step up because being a foster family and and taking that stand, that's a big deal. That's a big commitment. And just to see that they're a part of God's redemptive story has got to be so joy-filled for them, mm-hmm. too. And that you came back to say, I need you still. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I do. That's how I feel. I feel like I do need them, right? And we, we need each other. Um, I think that there's so much church hurt. Um, in the way that young people are like, I'm, I'm hurt by the church, and rightfully so, right? Like, in, in some ways, rightfully so, and they're leaving the church. But really, it's, it's likely that, you know, you haven't been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by a few broken people that that were broken, um, mm-hmm. you know, in their brokenness. And being in, remaining in the church um, has been the biggest blessing to me, being held accountable in community and being encouraged in community, especially, I think, not coming from a strong family background um, and feeling very lost in that. Being in the church is the one place where I've just felt like I belonged. And when, and there are still today, you know, people like they might not want to be my friend or I do a lot of things on social media, like Jonathan was talking about. And there are people who comment mean things. And mm-hmm. it does sometimes get my head and I wonder about my character and who I am and my identity. But I, I remember, you know, God has created a room for me in a kingdom. And I think that the church, when you're in a good, healthy church, that room in a kingdom, it should be reflected in, in the body. Mm, beautiful. How do you think youth get hurt in the church? I think that's, I think it would be insightful from coming from you. Yeah, I think that, uh, like, so I am the oldest of Gen Z. A lot of people think I'm a millennial. I'm 26 years old. But I am the oldest of Gen Z's, and I what I'm seeing as I think that I, I do get to kind of look like I get to kind of look at Gen Z's because uh, I'm the oldest, and I do think that I can also identify with them in that we want things done right. Um, we care very much. We're very justice oriented. We care about people, and we want people to be consistent. So, like if you say, you know. God is loving and you are Christian, then like be loving. Mm. And I know that like, right. It's a lot more complex than that because everyone communicates and receives love very differently. 
Um, But I do think, and I think that what Gen Z's, what young people are calling the church to is a beautiful thing. Um, I think that, you know, wanting things done right, wanting things done in love is good and righteous. But I also think that we have to add compassion to it and understand that, like, people are a lot more complex and love interpreted and love given mm-hmm. is, is not just like this one size fits all. Mm. So good. And I think, you know, even this area of foster fostering, that's a great area to like be the church and to love and to get into the messiness of, of life and people and just love like Jesus and see people for who they are and not let stereotypes um, dictate who people are because yeah. we're really quick at yeah. doing that, yeah. you know, inside the church and outside the church. But how do we how do we get past that and move past that? And a lot of what you're saying is identity, like even for the church, like how do we reclaim our identity as the church that Jesus established, which is full of kindness and compassion and love and and grace? Like that's the church, how it, we're mm-hmm. supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. And then like talking to identity of you, it's like you're not that person that these circumstances happen. You are beautifully, wonderfully made that you have a voice and you're using that voice. And so again, how do we, how do we reclaim our God given identities individually and as the church in this yeah, space? There are a lot, I think there are a lot of stigmas placed around youth in the foster care system. There are a lot of stereotypes, you know, they're troubled kids. Um, and so I think we have to change the way we see, uh, we can see them as, troubled children, or we can see them as God's children. And when we change the way we see, it's going to change the way we interact with them, because we're going to see them as God's. We're going to see them as a part of our family, um, part of the kingdom family. We're going to actually, you know, put our boots to the ground, get involved. And then when we're close to them, we, we see, you know, we grow in compassion, we grow in love. I, I was actually reading James today in my quiet time, and James one twenty seven says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then, like, James 1 just ends. And it's like, okay, is there no other instructions right. for us, James? Like, how did you set that end there? But I, I, so I, made, I went to Hillsdale College graduating in 2018, but I majored in Christian studies. And I didn't major in Christian studies because I was like, I'm going to be in ministry. I majored in it because I was like, I literally, I, I was saved when I was 17 in my church, went to college, felt like I was just kind of like wandering and wanted to be discipled, but didn't know how to walk with the Lord. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll major in Christian studies and then I'll find out how to be like Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I'm still like, I'm still wandering. But like and and I wish I would have like I still wish to say that I would have taken my education more seriously because I didn't know that I was going to be doing all that I'm doing now. But I was like I'm going to be like a mom and a wife, like a solely like I am a mom and a wife. But I was like solely mom and a wife. That's what I wanted. And then God God did way more. But thankfully, but I, one of the best things that I learned in my New Testament class was that those breaks that are in Scripture that are in the the books, like they were put in not by the author. And so I, I kept reading and I was like, okay, there's like literally no instruction. Like you just end. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, what if this break wasn't in there? Um, and, and, and so it continues. And James gives us construction and it says, you must not show favoritism. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about how a man, there's a man that comes to us wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And then there's a man that comes to us in filthy clothes. 
um, and like rags. And he's speaking and saying, you know, you have to create a space. Like, don't put one on a seat and then put the other one by your feet. Like, don't put the poor man by your feet. Create a space for him, too. And it was just mind-blowing because it's like, you are giving us instruction. Like, it looks like it ends. But really, if we take that break out, what James is calling us to as believers, as the church, is literally to just create an equal space for the people who are left out, cast out for the orphan and the widow. Put them in the same space that you would put a rich man. Mm, I love Tori, have that. you ever thought about speaking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you. I think you have something there, right? That's so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, that passage is rich enough. Yeah, it's easy to just 27 full stop, we're done. We've got, but it's right in that context. Brilliant thoughts. Mm. So now, not only are you a speaker, you're an author and you have a book coming out. And tell us about your book. Yeah, thank you. Um, my book comes out tomorrow. I love the energy in your voice and the passion. It's just, it's just coming out Yay. all over the place, right? It's so good. I'm so excited. Um, it's called Fostered, and it releases tomorrow. Uh, you get it anywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's a memoir about living with my biological mom and then my experience in the foster care system. Mm. And it's an encouragement to those who have experienced the foster care system in any capacity. And it's a call to the church to serve the orphan and the widow in the capacity that um, James just blew my mind in today. (laughs) (laughs) Mind blown. (laughs) Literally, my mind was a blow. Like, I was on fire. I, like, went to my husband, and I started talking to him about it, and I was like, how have I never noticed this before? (laughs) (laughs) That's so So, good. Fostered on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon? Or any Amazon, yeah, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, all places. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, huh? So, what do you want? Like, we're a church sitting out there. Our listeners are in a church, and maybe they're not—they're new to understanding the significance of being, you know, of foster families, and even supporting. If even if you don't see yourself as a foster family, how do you support foster families? Like, come alongside them, like. Every once in a while, we're gonna we're gonna bring meals into you. We're gonna give you a break. We're gonna do that. Like so, like even if you're not called to foster, you can still be engaged and you can still be supportive. So, can you just speak to that the whole community of the church? What that looks like? Yeah, let's talk about like let's. I feel like we talked like we got real churchy and heady there. So let's. let's, (laughs) We can handle it. We went to church today. It was great. Mercy. I, know, I did not mean to do that. It's no, it's so good. All good, all good. It's so good. We're gonna we're gonna get practical. So I was I was giving you the practical, really easy advice because like I know Pete, this is like my number one question that I get is like I can't be a foster parent. I don't have the capacity for that, but I really want to do something. And it's such a it's it's such an important question. So there's a thing called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocate. Google mm-hmm. it, and then Google your county, and you get to go into court, you're a volunteer, and you get to advocate for what's in the best interest of the child. It's the most important job that is connected to a youth in foster care because it's the only person that doesn't have a conflict of interest with the state, and all that is like, I don't know what that means, but if you just Google it, you're going to get it. It's an important, the most important job. Um, you can be a mentor, so just Google mentorship programs in your area and be like, hey, how can I how can I get involved? And, and you'll start to go through a process with them. Um, you can love the person right in front of you. My track coach, 
people are always like, you know, people are always like, oh, was he like a teacher? Or did he have like some kind of, you know, certification or training with kids? But he was a factory worker. But when he did his job, he showed up and he loved the people in front of him. And because of that, he changed the trajectory of my entire life. And so, mm. you know, Google some things, look up foster care, um, not foster care agencies, but like foster care nonprofits in your area, and just go to them and say, hey, I want to deliver a meal once a month to a family because they'll know them. And you just you just take the meal and you build a relationship and lo- love the people that, that God puts in front of you. So practical. So practical. Which is Absolutely. what we need. And I know, Jonathan, you, in, like even in Arizona and around here, our church, Central Christian, is really engaging in this mm-hmm. um, and trying to you know, create that community. What do you see? Like, what are some practical things there here? There's so many great things going on. And it, it's first off, am I willing? And there always is something to do. There really are needs that are oftentimes hidden. But if you just take a, take a step, we, I, you know, I was the director for Care Portal for a number of years, and they're, they're doing great work to connect to the needs in your community through your church. There's mentorship is so critical, so important. We've had a number of mentoring guests on our show who are really encouraging that. There always is something to do. I just went to the child uh, center where kids were taken. When they're they're removed from their home, they're taken to this place sort of in between until they're into a placement. That's a rough – it was a rough mm-hmm. visit. That was last week and that was a rough – And I, so there are needs like physical needs like right at that moment – but I also think we just need to ask, put before the Lord, Lord, am I willing mm-hmm. to open up my home? It's, I mean, often we instantly can dismiss it, but maybe we haven't really put it before the Lord. It's worth asking. Mm-hmm. We, we might very well say no, but we might need to. So there's a lot. So I just, as we, I'm not sure I, how we're doing on time, but I think we're, as we getting close to the, getting close to this, I just want to hear just a little bit more. You were Mrs. Universe. And just, you know, I did runway. Uh, oh, actually, I did. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. But I like to think I did. I can turn left and I can turn right and I can do a, look, a great model, male model look. But that's all I can do. You actually, like, made it happen. Tell me that story real quick. Listen, everyone always wants to talk about this. <laughs> and I, I was like, it was uh, – sometimes I just feel like it was a fluke, okay? Because I – I was fostering a sibling group of three with my husband. We have two biological children as well. We had five kids, three and under. And people are like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. But Wait. actually, it was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Like, it was <laughs> wow. terrible. Like, bad idea. So, um, then, I would, like, wanted to do something fun. Like, I was just, like, in my mom's sweats and with my mom bun every day. And um, someone presented the opportunity of pageantry. And I was like, that is so stupid. That is so superficial. No one should do pageantry. <laughs> and then when I like laid my head on my pillow every night, I was like, how fun would it be to get dressed up in these elaborate, ridiculous dresses, get my hair and makeup done? Like, that actually sounds like a ball. So I was like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, in, in this pageant, I don't, I don't remember exactly. It was either 60 or 70% of the, of the score was interview. And so mm. I think that I was, I, you know, I lucked out uh, because I do this work. I, I, so I did this work before Mrs. Universe. Um, I, I was speaking and communicating. And so I, I think that that really helped me. And I, I told my story and I just told it honestly 
Because, you know, when I got on stage and they saw me walk, they were probably like, is that the same girl that we saw in the interview room? Because they probably didn't think it was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it's so funny because as much as I'm so thankful that I won, it has caused people to take me way more seriously when I walk into rooms. I was doing this work speaking and um, writing. And, then, you know, I was like 23 when I started it. And I think people were like, who is this girl? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, rightfully so. Like, I was 23. And, and, but it's only been, I'm 26 now. I'm not that much older. But when I got the title of Mrs. Universe, people started to take me very seriously. And, um, in a, in a way it spoke to write like all of the things that I advocate for and like, don't create these stigmas and these stereotypes on people mm-hmm. and do not discriminate. Um, look to the heart of people. Um, uh, because I'm the same person that I was before Mrs. Universe and I'm the same person I was after. But still, it's the thing that people look to. But you could see how God used it to like, like give you a, a much larger platform and accelerate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful. Yeah, I'm so thankful for it. Um, yeah, I'm so thankful for that. But also, it's like this caution, right? Of like, what do we look to as a culture and a society? And it's just always pushing me to look beyond, like, look beyond the the glitzy and the glam stuff because there's more in people mm-hmm. oh for sure mm-hmm. well i'm sure it gives so much hope to other kids in foster going you know what we don't have to be defined by this and you can become mrs universe or you can become whoever you want to become right that you're not limited that know who you are and live that Tori, this has been such an incredible uh, privilege just to have you on our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. ToriHopePeterson.com, right? Yes, and Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. Okay, S-E-N, com. Get your new book that's just fostered, that's just come out. And so thankful for you. Appreciate you, and God bless. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Amplify Peace, educating, immersing, training, and launching peacemakers to build united communities. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.